Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale October 30th, 2019. It's a spooktacular. Whoa. And I'm Spooky Agent M, a.k.a. Ryan Panago. And whoa, you flipped the a.k.a. Did I? Whoa, cool. I'm so tired. <laughs> I don't bet. know what's happening. And I'm Tiger Mark. Yeah. Hey. I have a baseline spookiness about me, I like yeah, to think. This is true. So, yeah. you know, I, it's that, I, I think like, I'm bringing it enough. This is the show where we run you through all the new Marvel comics that are coming out this week, which is October 30th. And uh, we're going to talk about the new print comics, the collections, and what's hitting Marvel Unlimited. That's everything we do every week. But one important piece of information to share with everybody Marvel and SiriusXM and Pandora have struck a really cool deal that's going to have a lot of stuff coming. Can't give you all the details now, but if you have Pandora, you can listen to Marvel's pull list on Pandora. Whoa. Which is great. It's another avenue for us. And, you know, there's more details to come and some really cool stuff in the works. I'm very excited for all this. And we'll dig into this a little bit more on the most recent episode of This Week in Marvel. So if you are not subscribed to that, check that out. We'll talk about it there. So... Tune your Pandora to Tucker Marcus oh, FM. Is that a thing? Is that, is that how it works? God. <laughs> Nightmare sentence. <laughs> this is the Tucker Marcus Network. <laughs> yeah, don't even want to open that Pandora's box of what that would even mean. It would be a nightmare for all involved. This is true. <laughs> we do have some nightmarishly spooky issues yeah. to talk about this week. Tucker, you're going to kick us off, right? All right. We're starting with Black Panther number 17. It is by ta Coates and Daniel Acuna. Oh, man. It's just always so great to read those two names next to each other with lettering on this issue by VCs Joe Sabino. As this series has matured, as we have gotten to know the intergalactic empire of Wakanda, and as we've jumped back and forth between there and Wakanda Prime to see how they relate to each other, to see really just constantly how revolutionary or evolutionary Tanahasi Coates' idea of what Black Panther is and can be, both as a hero and as a comic book series, because I think that's what my favorite thing about every single issue always is, is just always breaking new ground, always presenting new visuals, new tech, new character dynamics, all of it. It's so, so fascinating. I am specifically excited about what we get to see a little bit in the opening pages, I believe. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to say too much about how this is framed. The cover says The Revenge of Killmonger, but I don't want to say too much more other than that. But it's pretty awesome. There's a moment I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. Also, huge shouts to the team because Storm in this issue, it's just like a reaffirmation of she is one of the greatest Marvel characters. And when you put her in the hands of incredible storytellers like Tanahasi and uh, Acuna, it is just like knock it out of the park. There's like a two page sequence where she's talking to, to Nakia. Yeah. Give me that. Give yeah. me that as its own book. Just Storm being Storm, the best ever. And you know, it's a subtle thing, but the way they bridge mm-hmm. the what how she is and what she is and every everything about her in Black Panther and bridge it to what's going on with her in the Dawn of X stuff, it's such a small thing. Yeah. And if they could have not done it and fine, but doing it gives it so much more life and makes everything feel so much more connected. Yeah. 
man. Yeah. This is one of my favorite issues of the Black Panther run. I love it. I love those little things. All right. Next book up is Conan the Barbarian, number 10. This is a crucial issue. This is a big one for the big life and death of Conan story, really focusing on the children of the Great Red Doom. It is written by Jason Aaron, art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. But this goes through sort of the history of these two children, which we've seen over the course of the series, the Red Witch, you know, the children's mother, her story, how it's all connected, and really builds out like, okay, we've had all these different stories. Here's the big thread connecting it all together masterfully, Jason Aaron style storytelling. You could tell Mahmoud is just enjoying what he's working on so much, so detailed and storytelling and this is one of the grossest darkest oh, yeah. hauntingest spookiest issues we have like heads cut off but things uh, don't die yeah yeah monsters crawling up and around and inside <laughs> and out and you know people being stabbed and bloodied and and like oh yeah Mahmoud his absolutely the perfect artist for this kind of thing there's something about the, his angles there's something about like Especially with this witch character that like he really imbues it with something just not right in the best way. It's yeah. really awesome. And uh, shout out to, of course, Matthew Wilson, one of the best in the one biz. The best. It's like his reds are more red than anyone else's. And, like, I know what you mean. The way he thinks of a color palette is a very particular thing because the way he mixes the blues and contrasts it to these bright reds that is so important for this story because of the blood, because of the children, because of the witch, everything. You're like covered in the blood when you read this issue. I want to give a quick shout out to Karis Pollard, one of our, our listeners, mm-hmm. our pals. Uh, I know she is getting into actually coloring comics and working on this. Take a look at this issue. Anybody else who wants to get into coloring, look at this issue as a study on color theory and how to tell a story this is one of many issues I would have chosen as my pick, and it was really tough. Like, as I'm going through it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could have picked that one as one of my favorites this week. Yeah, definitely. Okay, next up we have Contagion number five. This is written by Ed Brisson with art by Adam Gorham, colors by Veronica Gandini, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. This is the last issue of this five-issue limited series. And, you know, much like Conan the Barbarian 10 this week, it is gnarly. It's intense. It's squishy. It Ugh, is yeah. slimy. It's a really fun contrast in a lot of ways to see this bio threat of like these nasty, s- 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 like like sea cucumber people. Uh, uh, give me more of that. Mr. Keep it in. Talking new producer. Mr. Keep it in. Contrasted with these great visceral like punch them up kind of characters uh i'm thinking of moon knight I'm thinking of the thing or iron fist a bunch of these characters that are involved here uh because it feels like something they can't really fight you know that's the point is it's something from within in a way it's something that kills you on a biological cellular level and you can't really fight your way out of that which is really cool the level of biological horror as it consumes these characters is just a sight to behold and you know huge huge shout out to adam gorm for making that come to life because it's one thing to have these amazing almost kirby-esque in a way uh pages it's another thing to make them feel 
like you're being consumed by them. It's another thing to make them feel claustrophobic. Uh, and at times that's exactly what this does. So shout out to Javier Garon, shout out to Adam Gorham and this excellent five issue limited series and another testament to Ed Brisson's love for the horror genre. All right, up next is Dead Man Logan number 12. This is the final issue of this maxi series written by ya boy Ed Brisson with art by Mike Henderson, colors by Nolan Woodard, and lettered by VC's Corey Pettit. Wow. Wow. Yeah. This was this was the ending I needed. Mm-hmm. This was everything. It's the final stand for Old Man Logan. And you get this big fight issue with Danny and, and you have little big Bruce, the young Hulk kid, <laughs> and Logan who is literally dying but pushing, pushing, pushing. We knew this issue was going to end with Logan's death. Mm-hmm. And you knew where it was going. Ed nails it so hard. I, this is another issue. Now that I'm like g- looking at it, I'm like, man, this would have been one of my picks. Yeah. It's so... I was crying reading at the end of that, like at the end of this, because you know, emotional new dad, and, yeah. and I was also very tired, and still am very tired. But like, it is a beautiful ending to this story. It is a warrior's touching, tragic, sad, sweet end, and man, it is it's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. It's kind of crazy to think back on the journey that old man Logan has been on over the past ten plus years. Yeah, it's been almost somewhere between ten and fifteen years. It was awesome. What a week for varied and excellent endings to yeah. very you know numerous series. Yeah, um, we're gonna have a bunch of them actually to talk about this week. But you know, next is Death's Head number four, which is the end of this limited series, written by Teeny Howard, drawn by Kai Zama, colored by Felipe Sobrero, and lettered by VCs Travis Lanham. You know, it is a Death's Head story, but it's also a story about Wiccan and Hulkling and their love and like understanding and. This idea of relationships being imperfect and constantly needing work. And there's also a little hint of them kind of being almost like foster dads slash roommates yeah. to V, mm-hmm. who is the younger death's head in here. And then you get the older death's head who's, you know, embarking on his life. I love what Teeny did here because it's it's something, you know, really interesting that you get to do. You have four issues. You tell a story where you have to bring in uh, an older character take in some established characters, bring them all together, introduce a new character, and find a way to mix it all together, have them all come out the other side, be richer for the experience, find something tangible for fans and readers to latch onto. So in 10 years' time, you know, a next-generation creator is going to be like, I, I can't wait to write a story about V. Yeah. Like this character, or I can't wait to tell another adventure of classic Death's Head. I love it. There's so much in here that's great. Four issues, super easy to just get into. The trade will be out soon. I hope if you haven't read it in um, single issues, you check it out in collection. And then in a couple months, it'll be on Marvel Unlimited. So one way or another, really suggest you all check it out. Yeah. Hey, we're not going on to another Teeny Howard book. This is my first pick of the week. It's Doctor Strange Annual Number 1, written, yes, by Teeny Howard, with art on this by Andy McDonald, colors by Triana Farrell. And then we have a secondary story. This is called Treat, and that is written by Pornsack Pichette Shote with pencils by Lalit Kumar Sharma, inks by Sean Parsons, colors by Jose Villa Rubia, and letters throughout by VCs Corey Pettit. This I picked because 
when this episode of Bullis' release will be the week of Halloween. And this is a perfectly tailored Halloween story. We start nice little jaunt down to the West Village. Boom. Leave the office. Turn right. Go across 7th Ave. Go across Broadway. Jump on the one. Straight down. Hop out. Where'd you get out? Christopher Street? Sure. Get out. Boom, Sanctum Sanctorum, ding dong. That's where the story begins. It is a great collection. I've never heard you describe how to get to a location. I want you to do this every time there's a real world theoretical location for something. Uh, uh, And it's a great collection of characters that we get in this first story. We have Doctor Strange, of course. We have Scarlet Witch. We have Agatha Harkness, Talisman, uh, Doctor Voodoo. But what's so fun to me about this one, and look, I don't know, I'm not a big Disney head. But to me, this feels like the Haunted Mansion. That's a place, right? Yes. And that was fun. Uh, again, I'm trying to relate. Have you been on the attraction? Things. I think so. Couldn't tell you. Anyway, it is imbued with a great sense of joy at the same time as being like a horror book. We have like kind of these spectral figures. We have monster action. We have so much stuff built in here between the astral plane and, you know, just the world that works so wonderfully. It's a fine balance. And I think it's something that Teeny does incredibly well um, is telling a dramatic story, but doing it in a way that's bouncy and fun and keeps you turning the pages, keeps you excited, keeps you really living and loving the story without getting bogged down in like the dramatic weight of something. It's really, really, really fun. And, you know, it's like perfectly witchy, all these things that we know that Teeny loves. And then in the treat story, uh, man, this one freaked me out because the way that this uh, the way that Lalit Kumar Sharma draws these monstrous figures throughout the story is weird. It's different. It's that kind of thing where it's just off enough. It's just off a couple of degrees from what is familiar and therefore kind of understandable to us uh, in a way that is like really terrifying and weird. I was really into it. And, and it's a uh, Wong story. Exactly. Which is so cool. Um, Wong, love him. Part of why I love this treat story. And uh, yeah, I'm in that Halloween spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm loving it. All right, let's finish up our teeny triple threat with Excalibur, Whoa. number one. Again, another issue. I was like, oh, I want to pick this, but I have other things. Uh, Consider this an honorary pick. All the Dawn of X books are probably going to be picks. So just put that out there. Uh, It is written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This one is so cool. It's called Issue 1, Verse 1, The Accolade of Betsy Braddock, which is neat. Betsy's gone through so much over her life and over the last couple of years. Uh, If you don't know Betsy Braddock, she is twin sister to Brian Braddock. Brian Braddock has been Captain Britain. And over time, she shared consciousness and body with a ninja named Quanon. And it was her brain in Quanon's body and this whole thing. This was years that was part of the Mandarin's machinations back in the like 1990 mm. era time frame. Over the last you know year or so, We've seen her separate from Quanon. There's still tension there. That is actually a little bit of a theme that you'll run through in this issue. Now she's back in her her body. She is going through things, and she is now on Krakoa with the rest of Mutantum, and she doesn't quite feel right there. 
It's not necessarily the glorious home that everyone else thinks it is. And then we see how that factors in everything else. A big part of this, of course, will be Apocalypse, which is awesome. Seeing yeah. Apocalypse, you can't call him on the side of the angels. You can't say he's a good guy, but he's here with the rest of mutant kind because we won. We did it. We yeah. got our nation. Now what do we do? And I remember, you know, teeny has been talking about this as, okay, we got a big thing that we wanted. We've got sovereignty for our people that lets us stop running. What happens now? Mm -hmm. And the idea that Teeny's put out there is now they can explore possibilities. They can explore new technologies. They can explore magic. Magic can flourish. And so Apocalypse is like, I'm going to put on a giant cape. I'm going to wear this cool vest. I've still got the big A belt buckles, just a little bit different. Uh, I've got a new name, which is Krakoan characters. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. If we could speak Krakoan, maybe we could pronounce it. So we'll still call him Apocalypse, even <laughs> though one of my favorite parts of this issue is him correcting people. He's like, uh, please, would you call me by yeah. You know, it's like this unknowable sound. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, this issue sort of blossoms out where you find Apocalypse, Trinary is involved, Rogue and Gambit and Jubilee and all these different characters as we explore magic. And that ties into the Captain Britain side of things because Captain Britain has been the, you know, the, the guardian of Britain and of Avalon. And with Krakoa having these gates that go everywhere, Apocalypse is like, why are we just limiting to this dimension, this reality, this, what we are here? We can go further. We can go to the moon. Why can't we go somewhere else? And so there's now a gate that goes to Avalon, this mystical realm where Morgan Le Fay is, where, you know, the seat of power, uh, other world, all this stuff that is tied to the Captain Britain and mystic side of things. And this causes a major rift. So this interesting story is bubbling out of this as mysticism and the mutants. And it's really gnarly. It's wonderful, cool stuff about family. You get the resurrection stuff. And your boy Gold Balls gets a new name. Yeah. And my favorite bit is Betsy is like, oh, that's not going to stick. Because <laughs> uh, everybody just wants to call him Gold Balls. Yeah. Why not? It's real fun. Tremendous, tremendous issue. I can't wait. This is building so much. And, you know, Tucker, you and I know about where this is going and what's in store for these characters and this arc. And I just, I can't wait. Dawn of X is really fulfilling everything we had hoped for right out of the gate. This is only issue one and there's there's so much more to come. All right. Up next is my first pick of the week. And it is Fantastic Four Grand Design number one. Oof. You guys know how much we love the X-Men Grand Design story. Uh, and this one, you didn't really get the full effect of what X-Men Grand Design was until the very end. And you saw it as like this amazing tapestry and story that connected like right in those last pages. Like, that's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. And then here, this is, again, similar to X-Men. Fantastic Four Grand Design is written drawn, lettered, everything by Tom Scioli. He hasn't done maybe anything for us, maybe a little bit here and there. But if you take Jack Kirby and you condense him into this bright star and then run it through an indie comics yeah. prism, that is who Tom Scioli is. He takes 
all the style and the panache and the design and the the scope of what Jack did and does some really cool stuff with it and he packs every single page with dozens or numerous panels and his color palette is so eye-poppingly cool. Everything about it is just beautiful. The narration here is sort of goes back and forth between numerous characters, but it really dives way, way back to the beginning of time with, you know, Gallon of Ta, aka Galactus, becoming part of this reality and how Uatu, being a watcher who never interferes, of course interferes right from the start because he's a busybody. He gets involved. And we see bits of history that are important to the Fantastic Four. The grand design of it all is the Marvel Universe. I think it really does some interesting stuff of giving character to each of the members of the FF that didn't always get that spotlight back in the day, especially Sue. I think Sue gets some really great moments throughout this issue. It makes me real happy. There's also great Namor bits in here where he's like, Sue, check out these abs, girl. (laughs) Can't suggest this enough. If you want to learn about Marvel, you want a cool story in a different way that you've ever seen it before, this is your book. Okay, awesome stuff. Next up, we have Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 13. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Ken Lashley, Todd Nock, Iguara, DK, Ruan, with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is a really awesome issue because not only do we get Spidey, not only do we get some of these great supporting characters that have emerged over the course of Tom Taylor's run on this book, but we also get the Fantastic Four. It is really, really cool how the narrative has emerged, how new villains, new adversaries have emerged on this ground level Spidey view. And now to bring in the FF, go downtown and visit Yancey Street. You're right in the middle of this war that is going down in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. There are so many great Spidey moments in here. There are also so many great Fantastic Four moments. I love the classic Marvel two-in-one vibe that it gives me because this ends up being uh, this great team-up. We're right in the thick of it, and we're only going to continue at a crazy pace with the next issue. Okay, next up, we have Invisible Woman, number four. Lots of love for Sue this week. And rightfully so, she's the greatest. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Mattia Diulis and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Man, I find it at times difficult to concentrate on much else other than Mattia's art when I'm reading one of his books because it is so gorgeous. It is so lifelike. It's so commanding. There's almost this like animation mm-hmm. feel to it where you're looking at is this is this a, like an animation cell yeah there's a splash page in here that i was stared at for a couple minutes like how is how is this possible what is this book even it is gorgeous and stunning oh, man. There, there's a really fine line with this this kind of art style between looking too much like the real world but something like this just absolutely nails it just right down the middle of this realistic feel that is totally you know it is so gorgeous 
while at the same time feeling uh, like exactly what you want, like exactly a, a really, really wonderful comic should feel. And then on a story level, it's kind of emerging into this really awesome super spy story that keeps bringing in new characters, characters you wouldn't expect people pop out in corridors that you wouldn't expect to see them. And it continues each uh, issue to be totally unexpected and just a really, really special series. Huge fan, huge fan. Okay, moving on now, we have Ironheart number 11. This is written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Luciano Vecchio, layouts by Giofo, colors by Matt Mila, and letters and production by VC's Clayton Cowles. This is one of those issues that I was talking about when it comes to real heart string pulling personal storytelling individual lives of some characters and superheroes in this one obviously it's riri williams we get to see a little baby riri which is the sweetest it's the greatest it is allowing us to understand the roots of who this character is how she has been since the earliest days in her life uh, and how she relates to her family. This is a really interesting part of this issue as we get to know that side of Riri in a way that we haven't or don't get to that often. And I think it's super bold. It's super awesome. I love any time a writer says, I'm going to take this subject matter and I'm going to define it in my way and tell the story as in this case, Eve wants to tell it. It's amazing stuff. We also get to, of course, visit Wakanda in this story. We're still in Wakanda. We're still uh, running around with Shuri and Riri teaming up. The Dora are involved. It is just the greatest. We have some excellent fight scenes that I really love because Riri is so different in the way she moves and the way that she fights and the way that she interacts with adversaries than, uh, you know, say Shuri or, or anyone else might. So I love to see that difference. It's kind of like, you know, with Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, it's awesome to see Spidey teaming up with the thing because they're just so different. It's kind of a similar thing here because Riri and Shuri, while they have so much in common, the way they move, the way they look, and the way they travel across panels is so different. It just makes for such a joyful experience. Yeah. Up next is a little Star Wars for everybody. Oh, yeah. It's Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Allegiance, number four. It's another ending this week. This is written by Ethan Sachs, art by Luke Ross, my dude from Brazil, uh, and colors by Lee Lowridge and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And this one, we get some big moves for Mon Cala. Mm -hmm. uh, we get to see Rose Tico steal a kind of scooterish type uh -huh. thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a really cool image of Rose and Ray side by side in here, which I think is good. But yeah. this is the book that leads us into the rise of Skywalker. There's really cool bits and pieces here. Uh, I will be honest. I have not watched the last trailer Ooh. for the film. I just went for tickets <sighs> with a baby in my left arm, completely like debilitated on that side but I my wife was asleep cuz you know I was taking the first shift mm -hmm. and I went and I got us some tickets for Friday morning nice but I couldn't get it for Thursday night yeah I was like oh no what am I going to hey, do hey good for you for getting them period yeah did you not get tickets okay I'm not sure what I got. It was a big <laughs> night for me. I was sitting there like looking at the countdown for like when it was going to happen and I I was freaking out. I literally had to take a nap afterwards because I was so tense and stressed and nervous. I got tickets for 11 p.m. Thursday night, which is 
ideal. I even prefer that to like a 6 p.m. opening night. You know what I mean? You get that real excitement, like late night yeah. opening night vibe, just like things used to be. I remember those days when it truly was a midnight opening. I remember that. But I'm not sure what format it's in. I'm not sure of any of the real details. I worry that I might have accidentally purchased 3D tickets, which is not great because I wear glasses. And so I wear 3D glasses over my glasses and it creates a glare between my glasses. Anyway. Sure. Um, I get it. <laughs> TBD. Truly the journey to Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, you guys. Yeah. It's, it's a Star War. We're yeah. all excited. Uh, yeah. No, this is another great issue. Ethan puts it together beautifully. I ran into Ethan at uh, New York Comic Con and told him how much I was loving everything that he is doing in the world of Star Wars as he has so quickly become one of the go-to Star Wars writers. This is great stuff. It leaves each character off in a really, really fascinating way. It's kind of the alley that you want to oop for Poe and Ray and General Leia and Finn and the whole crew. It's great stuff. Next up, we have Marvel Zombies Resurrection number one. It's back, folks. Uh, it's written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Leonard Kirk, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is a really interesting first issue. It starts out in a way that feels wonderfully familiar while also being totally unfamiliar. And maybe for the first two-fifths of this book, it feels like a superhero story in a way that we've seen before. And then you turn one single page and it all changes and it becomes the Marvel zombie book that so many people love. When you sign up for this story, you know what you're signing up for and it is everything that you want in all of its terrible, terrifying, gross, disgusting ways. It's really cool, though, because it's simultaneously a cosmic story, which is something that you do not automatically associate with each other. So we get a bunch of, you know, wonderfully tailored, uh, unique, sometimes cosmic characters coming into the, the zombie realm, which I just adored. Have you ever seen Event Horizon? Yes. Ooh. I love Event Horizon. When I first saw it as like 16 or 17 years old in their you know, little local movie theater, the power went out about <laughs> three quarters of the way in. We ran. We were yeah. like, oh, God, no. <laughs> and so it was so good. Scared me. Spooky. This book reminds me of Event Horizon and that type of disturbing, cosmic terror you know, it's a different from an alien type of, of scary. It is a, this like Hellraiser, Event Horizon, nightmare thing. It's, to me, it's more of that than even a zombie story. But yeah. then you layer in the zombie story of it. I love this. I yeah. loved this That's issue. the perfect reference, Man. I think. Yeah. So good. So, so good. All right. Up next is Red Goblin, Red Death, number one. This is a big issue with a bunch of stories about Norman Osborn with the Carnage symbiote. That was the big finale of Dan Slott's Amazing Spider-Man was introducing and, and having to overcome the Red Goblin. And we've now seen that the Red Goblin has not truly been overcome. He's been a major part of Absolute Carnage. So this gives a bit of a spotlight on the character. We get three stories in this issue. We have one written by Rob Fee, which is called Great Responsibility, with art by Pete Woods. Pete Woods, we uh, recently talked about, is just coming to Marvel now for the first time in a while to do some cool work. And he's got this art style, which is just so cool. He does all of his inks pencils and colors so you get this really interesting color palette uh does some really cool stuff this story is horrifying yeah it is like 
gut-wrenchingly disturbing, which is what it should be. You're talking about Carnage and Norman Osborn together is really messed up. Uh, you have a second story called Big Mouth by Sean Ryan and another bit of art by Pete Woods, which is really cool. And then the third story is called The Wayside Darkness, which is neat because it's written by Patrick Gleason uh, and is penciled by Ray Anthony Height, friend of ours, inks by Mark Deering and colors by Dono Sanchez Almaro with Proto Bunker. Look, this is not for the faint of heart, this this issue. It is disturbing it is twisted gory it is nasty it is it is upsetting and and visceral but if you're into that stuff and you like the spooky creepiness this is your jam hey we've had a lot of awesome horror books out this week and rightfully so but look if you need a little tonic if you need a little joyous beautiful bright colors and great characters and tucker i need a little tonic I need a little bright I'm colors. Gonna, I'm going to pour you a, a nice big glass of Runaways number 26. It is one of the finest books at the House of Ideas, every single ish. And this one, of course, as always, is written by Rainbow Rowell with art by Andres Ginolay, colors by Dean Kunif, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I recently sat down with Nick Lowe, uh, the editor of this series, to talk about what's to come with Doc Justice and the J team, as it's so been billed. You know, I believe Nick was actually around when Runaways number one, Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alfona came out. So he knows it as well as anybody. And Nick just said, this is the best Runaways since then. And maybe it's even eclipsed that story that's big words i know but nobody knows it better than nick and uh you know as readers of this series we absolutely can attest to that fact it is unbelievable it's 20 issues on marvel unlimited right yeah. now give yeah. or take go read this friggin go. series it is perfect it's awesome awesome stuff as for what doc justice and the j team is going to be what it all means We'll see, but it is so much fun to see these characters explored in this different way. That is why it's a nice, ah, delicious tonic. Yeah. Delicious. All right. Also, as we're going through the books, I'm like, this is a hell of a friggin' week. Right. If the week ended here, it would be like, wow, great week. But now what's next is like, are you kidding me? It's nuts. Up now is Savage Avengers Annual Number 1, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Ron Garney. So your Savage sort of Conan team coming back together. Colors by Matt Mila. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is dope. This is a spotlight on Conan in the Marvel Universe. He is in South America, and he finds himself up against some human traffickers. You get to also bring in Damian Hellstrom, who's just tremendous. No shirt, full of fiery hair, just the way I like my Hellstrom, <laughs> riding like a demonic fire horse. Yeah. Which, if you're like, oh man, I really hope Conan rides that fire horse in this issue, you're going to get it. It's so good. Uh, Conan does not like modern beer. He calls it swill. I would agree with him. A lot of modern beer, swill. But it's great. We get to see Conan take it to a bunch of bad guys, team up with Damon Hellstrom. Then Black Widow gets involved with it. It is big and brutal, funny, dark, violent, explosive. It is exactly what you want out of a Conan team-up book with Black Widow and Hellstrom fighting kind of the worst trash imaginable. Yeah. All the while, it does connect to the big overall story that Jerry is telling with Kulin Goth and the Savage Avengers. 
I love this issue. Is, uh, this is, again, another one where I was like, this could have been one of my picks. It was so good. Okay, up next is my second pick of the week, and it is Silver Surfer Black, number five. Another ending, Tree Men Dust. Story and script by Donny Cates. Story and art by Trad Moore. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I mean, I don't even know what to say about this. Take this book, put it on a rocket, and shoot it into outer space. One, where it belongs, but two, where it can live forever as like a perfect comic. If anyone finds it, read it. This is as good as comics can be. Yeah. yeah. I, there you go. Yeah. The end. Done. <laughs> this is in the annals of incredible, beautiful, legendary, breathtaking Silver Surfer stories. Please read this. Frame every damn page on a wall. It is gorgeous and cool as hell. Man, I love this issue. It's so freaking good. Oh, my God. Uh, we still have more to talk about. Like Star Wars, Dr. Afra Annual, number three. This one, I love this one, too. I read this this morning, yeah. and I was like, damn, this is so good. Written by Simon Spurrier, art by Elsa Charretier, who, so glad to see her doing some stuff here. She worked on Unstoppable Wasp, but she's so good. Uh, with colors by Edgar Delgado and Jim Campbell. Lettering by Joe Caramagna. The art in here, unfortunately, he passed several years ago, Darwin Cook. An incredible artist and designer and storyteller is good friend of Ron Richards, your boss, one of my best friends. And Darwin, his work is breathtaking. Elsa does a lot of things that remind me of Darwin in this issue. And I say that is like the biggest compliment I can give. It is really cool story that only has Afra as a catalyst for a number of things. It, it lets us follow along with some of her, you know, fan favorite supporting cast of Winloss and Nock and Black Chrysanthemum, following them when they're on Tatooine and getting involved in some stuff with the Huts and getting in, uh, involved with bounty hunters and all kinds of stuff. And it is darkly funny and sweet and tremendous. It, if, if you like Star Wars, this is a great book. Yeah, that's what Afra is for me, is just this kind of agent of chaos, but not on purpose. You know what I mean? She's just thrown into these different situations. And for better or worse, she, you know, just causes things to happen around her. And that's where the joy of that series uh, comes about. Okay, next up we have Superior Spider-Man number 12. This is written by Christos Gage with pencils by Mike Hawthorne, inks by Wade Von Graubadger, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. It's been really fascinating to see where this book has gone. And it's totally shocked and surprised me. Did not expect this Otto Octavia story to go in this direction. It's something that feels completely unexpected. But the second it happens, you look at it, and you go, oh, of course, of course this happened. And I think that speaks to the power of Christos Gage's writing. And I think the richness of the Otto Octavius character in general, because as we have seen with this Superior Spider-Man story and, of course, all the legend and lore and history around that character, he's capable of being so many things uh, while also maintaining this, this through line, this thread. There is some really, really awesome, like classic Spidey vibes in this issue, which I really, really love. This issue for me opened this series up into an entirely new realm of uh, what it is, of what it's going to continue to be. Kudos to Christos and team. 
I loved this book. Yeah. I'm sad that it's over. Yeah. It is a really great way to wrap it up and what the story it's the story they wanted to tell. Yeah. A wonderful run for a character who people would make fun of as a Roy Orbison, you know, looking right. doofus. Right. Who is so much more. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Okay, we're wrapping it up this week with my second pick of the week. It is Venom number 19, written, of course, by Donnie Cates with art by the great Ivan Coelho, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This was one of those other books that I've been thinking about that really hits home on a personal level that really has such amazing emotion. This is the sole absolute carnage tie-in book this week. And there are really interesting threads that continue to pop up over the course of this Venom series, whether that's down to character, whether that's down to relationship dynamics and, you know, continuing to find the line of where is the codependency of that relationship? Where does the individual begin and the symbiotic relationship begin uh, there's so much there, and it's really amazing and a testament to uh, the storytelling ability of Donnie and Iben, Ryan, and everyone that's been involved that we can get a book so heavily featuring a new character like Dylan Brock, and it hits home so hard because, again, it's about that relationship. It's about Dylan's relationship to all this wild superhero stuff that's going on around him. It's about how he responds to it. It's about his relationship with Eddie Brock, the dramatic irony there of Dylan originally thinking that Eddie was his brother. We know that Eddie is, in fact, his father. There's so much going on there. I love that there are these secrets on both sides yeah. for Eddie and Dylan and like that tension that arises from that. Also, as someone with cats in his yeah. life there's some cat action in here that i you want to get in on it yeah reader get in it for that okay that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week and for collections on sale we have deadpool by scotty young volume three weasel goes to hell marvel verse iron man marvel verse thanos those are just like sort of greatest hits collections so if you are someone who's like i would like some stories featuring the iron man or the thanos <laughs> these are great. It's a smattering of issues that gives you a sense of like who these characters are. I think these are really cool collections. Nice. We also have Spider-Gwen, Gwen Stacy, Symbiote Spider-Man, Thor Volume 3 Wars, and Tony Stark Iron Man Volume 3 War of the Realms, War of the Realms Uncanny X-Men, What If Classic The Complete Collection Volume 2. You must buy this so that they will keep making more What If collections. I have full run of the 90s What If series, but I want it in trade as mm. well. And I need them to know that the sales are good and they have to go through the first volume all the way through so that they can start in the second volume so I can put them all on a bookshelf and not have to dig them out uh, or put them <laughs> all displayed on my uh, spinner rack. So that's my request to all of you listeners. Go out there. Go out there and buy your What If collections. And the last two we have here are X-Men Starjammers by Dave Cockrum and X-Men Trial of the Juggernaut. Yes. And then, of course, on Marvel Unlimited, so many comics out there this week. Uh, Hulk Farines, number three, which is really fun. Runaways, number 20. Like I said, you have 20 issues of the current series of Runaways you can read. You got to do it. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge number one. So if you have been to Galaxy's Edge, this is really cool. Like going back to look at this. Now that I've been there and mm. seeing the attention to detail that Will and, the, and Ethan and the team have put together, it is so cool. First issue of the Thanos series in there. And then for the classic stuff, I wanted to spotlight that 
Marvel Spotlight number six is on the service. That's a Ghost Rider issue. But Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 15 was added. That is super cool. It's from 1981. It's got a bunch of stories in it. It's got a story by Denny O'Neill and Frank Miller. All right. Right there. Boom. You got to read it about Punisher, Doc Ock, Spider-Man. Then there's a Mark Grunewald and Bob Layton. I don't want to call it a story, but it's a spotlight uh, of about Spider-Man's strength. Uh, so you get Mark Grunewald, who is like mine encyclopedia of the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe, showing where Spidey ranks in all that. I love that <laughs> kind of stuff. It's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, then you get a uh, a little bit about Peter Parker's apartment by Roger Stern and Marie Severin. I mean, come on. This is just... <laughs> The best. I love annuals like this. Really, really fun stuff. I love Marvel Unlimited, yeah. as I'm sure many of you do too. Uh, it's hard to get some of these issues, so this is really neat. Tucker, that's it. Woo! It's tremendous. Hey, happy Halloween. Yay! Yeah. Trick or treat, everybody. Trick or treat. Have fun. S- sweaters, pumpkins, Halloween. Fake teeth. John Carpenter. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of Carpenter lately. Yeah, man. You you got me on that. Yeah, that's yeah right. it's awesome. Hey, Tucker, did you know that this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by MR Daniel, who's sitting to my right, your left? Hey, MR. Hey, MR. (laughs) With help from Jorge Estrada. Jorge. Yay. I know many of our listeners know Triple P. Yep. But we've got a whole big old new staff because, of course, we mentioned at the top of the show, really cool news and updates coming for all of Marvel's podcast and audio efforts uh, with SiriusXM and Pandora. So we staffed up. We got some great people with us. We also have a new audio development manager. His name is Brad Barton. Classic double B. Brad, he's the man. Yep. Yeah. Good dude. And he knows his Marvel stuff. He, like, sent me a note about my daughter, and he threw in some, like, obscure Marvel references. Like, I get you. (laughs) I see you, Brad. I see you. And then our director of audio is Jill DeBoff, who gave me some amazing gifts for little Captain Grace. Thinking about it makes me The coolest. Just great. Got a great staff here, and they are working hard to bring you all the Marvel audio. Woo!